Hi, I'm Brian Boger. Welcome to my podcast, Flipping the Lid. I'm a husband, father, entrepreneur, and well, just a human being like you. I've faced personal tragedy, significant trauma. I've dealt with shame, anger, and self-doubt, all of which have created a ripple effect of damage in my world. I'm grateful that I've learned the importance of looking and going inside to create, repair, unpack, and reach levels of success that I never believed possible. Now as a coach, keynote speaker, and author, I'm fascinated by the stories that have shaped some of our world's most significant and successful individuals. So we're gonna flip the lid and take a look inside the stories that have shaped their lives and success. And we'll be featuring a number of individuals who have literally flipped the lid in their lives and businesses. Welcome to Flipping the Lid. Let's go jump in. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back for another episode of Flipping the Lid. You know what we do here by now. I am really excited about the individual that we have here today. He's become a friend. He's a client. We've done a lot of different things over the years. And this guy is top notch. The stories and where he came from, how his life moved and shifted, some of the chaos that happened early in life also gave him perspective to propel him forward and really build significant businesses, be influential in writing laws and codes specific to his field in various countries, and as a leader amongst his industry in a way that he's showing other people how to grow their chiropractic practices exponentially while serving people at the highest level. He's an incredible man, an incredible father, an incredible husband. And I'm just excited to have you here today, Sean. Well, thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Can't wait to see uh, what we get into. (laughs) Well, I think you know well enough by now. I love to jump in and go deep. So I said who you were, but why don't you tell us who you are in your words? Hmm, Well, you did mention I am a chiropractor by profession. Um, I will sort of correct. We, we, my time is spent not coaching mostly chiropractors. We do have a group called Black Diamond Club um, that is for service providers of all type. But because I am a chiropractor by profession, there are a lot of chiropractors there. Um, But mostly I've um, sort of really become passionate and evolving into um, building a platform, understanding influence, trying to um, create better and deeper relationships, but actually with fewer, better people um, to create influence, to you know, really move the needle in the world. And so, you know, that sort of, I guess, sums it up. An entrepreneur um, attempting to build um, influence and not for because of fame, building influence because I have a message that I hope that at some point um, I could share with the world and will help the world um, to learn about health and success. So that that's how I would sum it up. I don't know if that's very good. I haven't refined that down yet. Well, I think that whatever you say is perfect because it's your perspective on who you are, bro. So I love that. Uh, appreciate the the perspective and the shift. You know, what I would tell you is that I know you don't just work with Kairos, but you're also significantly involved. I mean, you're the leader of a board for one of the largest chiropractic schools. So you have pretty significant influence in the chiropractic community. So what I'd like to start with, though, before we jump there is, dude, you lived in Japan as a little kid, right? Like, give us a little bit of perspective on that, because anybody who has worldly experience living in different cultures always see things differently. Yeah, well, my, my, I'm, a, I'm a military kid. My father was in the Marine Corps. 
and um, he was stationed in Okinawa, Japan. My mother, she's Japanese, but she's Japanese-American. Um, she had gone to Okinawa, Japan to teach. She's a teacher. I was teaching, I believe she's teaching English or art, one of the two. She's an um, art teacher. It was sort of her main focus. Um, and she met my father there, I think, at the USO club, some, some American thing on the base. Um, I was actually, though, born in Kansas City, Missouri. So they had gone back to Kansas City um, for a, a little stint. Um, but I left or they left when I was one year old and moved back to Okinawa, Japan um, for another stint there. One of the cool things I remember, though, is, um, you know, being in the military, my my father flew and took us to a lot of different places. You know, we would go on those big giant planes. Um, you know, basically they're not commercial jets. We're sitting in the back. We, you know, there's got a handful of seats back there, but we were able to travel um, to most of Asia while I was young, the Philippines, Thailand, um, Vietnam, all these different places and all throughout Japan. Um, and so it did give me a lot of exposure to you know, different cultures. But I also think what I remember too, you know, you go to these countries, you, um, and especially when you're very young, you are exposed to extreme poverty. Um, and understanding that not everybody was fortunate. And it was not like as a, as a big, deep lesson. It's just there. Like you just realized that because you went to one place where you were with your friends and everybody played with the football. And then you'd see another place where they were throwing a can because that's all they had. And it's just, a, I think, a subconscious realization that there are lines. There's differences between the classes and there's differences in opportunity. And then I think the other thing is what's always fascinating because later on in my adult life, I've had exposure to that as well, is that interestingly, oftentimes it's the people that live in the third world countries. It's the people that um, live in what we might consider poverty that are actually the happiest, that are the most giving, that are the most joyful. They don't live under stress. And we think like, I'd be so stressed. Like, I don't what am I going to eat tonight? They're not that worried about it. They're just happy and they're giving to each other. They know everybody else is in the same situation. So if one person has, they're they're happy to share with other people because they understand their dynamic and situation. So I think too, I learned a lot of that sort of subconsciously, not like my parents sat me down and taught me it, but I just lived. Well, I mean, just by osmosis, you start to absorb it, you observe it, you see it. When did that become conscious for you? You know, probably I think when, I, you know, so my, my fast track trajectory lived all Mount Stahl around, end up in North Carolina, from North Carolina, end up in Fort Wayne, Indiana, Fort Wayne, Indiana, go to school at IU Bloomington, from Bloomington, go to school in Chesterfield, Missouri, outside of St. Louis, chiropractic college, graduate chiropractic college, go to San Jose, Costa Rica to practice. I think in San Jose, Costa Rica, like returning back into, you know, and I, you know, I don't think I wouldn't consider Costa Rica a third world country, but um, moving to Costa Rica and seeing where, you know, people were living a much simpler life, a much happier life. And that really resonating with me. A lot of people go to Costa Rica and know all the touristy places. They always ask, what's your favorite place to go? I mean, frankly, I was there at the age of 24 trying to make a living. And honestly, my first year, I didn't make any money. And so, I mean, I, once I got things going, I was working hard. I wasn't going to the beaches. That's like, you know, if you lived in Miami, that doesn't mean that you're on Miami beach every weekend and you know, all the resorts, um, because you live there. Um, but I think that because of that, like I lived in San Jose, that's sort of when that realization was. And also because I became that in my first year of practice, you know, I was dead broke. And so 
you know, I had to struggle with like, wow, am I going to be, you know, woe is me and sad about this? Or am I going to, you know, bite down hard and see if we can do something about it? Was that the first time that you'd experienced being dead broke yourself? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I was question we kind of at that point, right? Like you graduate um, a professional college. So up to that point, you have either loans or parents, right? You're not technically on your own until you've graduated and gone on to whatever the thing is that you're doing. Um, fortunately for me, I was dead broke from the jump, not, you know, 10 years later, although I was dead broke 10 years later too, but, um, <laughs> that's another story. We'll get there. I'm sure. Uh, you know, the thing I'm curious about though, if I remember correctly, didn't you almost leave Costa Rica after that first year? Yeah, of course. I mean, I, I had absolutely no money exactly one year in exactly one year in I had absolutely no money. I didn't know how I was even going to feed myself. And so, you know, I, I had, um, during the year for an American, um, people in like Michigan and in California, if you look at your, um, plastic bottles, it says something like, I don't know, 10 cent deposit. Right. Um, that, that means nothing. I don't know. They must be obligated by law to write that or something. Um, you still put them in recycle. Well, they had the same thing in in uh, Costa Rica. For whatever reason, you know, money mindset, I would set these bottles out on my back patio. Um, but the back patio is where the washing machine is. You wash by hand. You hang the clothes on the line. And I had all these bottles stacked up out there. I just didn't want to throw away the money, and I didn't know how it worked. And then one, one year in, I had no money. So I took all those bags, and I put them into these giant trash bags. I think I had like three of them big you know like the black hefty bags and i walked down because i didn't have a car walked down to the small grocery store and i was like hey man i want to turn these in for my deposits and they were like you no, you can't you don't do that and i was like no but it says right on here like, you're only did you, you see know, the like, side of the bottle <laughs> you owe me the money and they were i mean i guess they're they're the same way i mean i guess if you took your bottles down to the grocery store in michigan they i mean they got to give it you the money because it says so those people just don't do it they'd probably be like wait for real you want to do that and so they were like, look, I'm going to, I can't take all the bottles. I'm not doing that, but I'll like trade in like, you know, 10. And so I like literally had to go to three or four or five grocery stores and trade in, you know, 10, 15, 20 at a time. And just, you know, was collecting these <laughs> change just to get enough money to buy a bag of rice and a bag of beans. And that had to last me uh, for about 10 days, the last 10 days of the year, you know, Christmas holiday, people closed down. I had a chiropractic office, people weren't coming in. So I wasn't being paid. And so I just had to do this to get this last bit of money. And I think in, in that moment, like there was that realization, like, wow, like, you know, what are we going to do? Like mm -hmm. now there's no more plastic bottles. I was waiting for kind of the first of the year and had to get more people to come in. And so, of course, I thought like, well, I could just go back to the United States and, you know, work for somebody or give it a run there. Um, but fortunately, I, I, you know, I just decided it was going to make one last run at this and, and see what happened. I love that. Go back to that moment, though. Tell us what you were feeling and experiencing when you couldn't see forward beyond that moment. Well, I think everybody would. It's you know, it's it's fear. Um, you know, I, I had shared with you that that Rocky clip um, where Rocky and Apollo are running on the beach, and he keeps losing, and and you know, Apollo's like, "What's wrong with you?" And, you know, Rocky's wife, Adrian, she's like, you know, what's going on? I, you know, I've never seen you this way. And he's like, I'm afraid, you know, when you're, you're navigating, you know, you think about that, like Rocky was a, a boxer champion, doesn't lose. 
and then now is facing you know his his opponent uh, Clubber Lang, and he he's afraid, and so I think it's that same thing. Like you kind of what happens is interesting. You know, I like you said, I work in I'm the chair of the board of an institution, the Sherman College of Chiropractic, and in higher education, people that go on into a trade school, so whatever you're studying, medicine, dentistry. You go in and when you start, it's funny because you literally feel like when you start that you know everything. Mm-hmm. And then you start this process like everybody knows like, oh, you know, my dentist does it this way. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do this. I'm going to practice here. I'm, you know, I know everything. And then slowly this educational experience sort of chips away from that. And there's like this epiphany, like you know, you're probably taking board exams and you're like, you know, really having to study and probably not getting the grades you used to get. And you're like, oh, my gosh, I don't know anything. But slowly over time, you kind of get put back when you graduate to where you you have that confidence. Like, yeah, I know everything again. Like you have that bravado. And then you go back and you go out into practice um, and you realize you don't know anything. You know, in all the in all the professional spaces, they have, you know, memes of, you know, then you get your first patient and then reality comes crashing down and you're like, oh, yeah, this isn't quite like when I was in in school. And another thing that happens is, you don't, you in school don't charge people money, right? So you never have that conversation. If you go into private practice, now all of a sudden you've got to be comfortable telling people that they need to pay, which is for a lot of people super awkward um, and, and it's difficult for them to deal with. And so then you, you, you're kind of like, ah, don't worry about it. You know, I'll figure it out. And then eventually you just don't have money, right? I mean, you, you start learning business. You get so hung up on, I'm a doctor, then you've got bills to pay. And then that's when I'm afraid creeps in because now you just realize like, you know, I don't have really any, any solution or no, I don't have any way out of this, of the situation. And, you know, for me, that was sort of a pivotal moment too, where I, I feel like that's kind of where I became an entrepreneur. Yeah. I feel like you'd have to, cause you have to dig deep and actually get a little scrappy to figure out how do you chart your path forward. And I know that it was pretty tumultuous times for you in that beginning period. I want to I want to take it in a slightly different direction for a second. I actually really appreciate because you've sent me more than one movie clip in the past. And I love movies. And I think that movies, right, have a really incredible way of giving us examples, words and situations that allow us to resonate and like have permission to feel and say the things that we might be experiencing. What role have movies played in your life? traditionally and if you had to say what are your top two or three favorite movies what are they and why (laughs) so i'm going to go in a whole other different direction because you're not going to believe this answer um i i don't watch movies um it's (laughs) it is very difficult for me um to sit down and you know movies typically somewhere between two and three hours long um, they've got to be real captivating for me to be stuck in the movie. So yeah. um, my wife, Lacey, she loves movies. And so it's a good opportunity for me to sit there um, next to her. And there's a movie on well, the other night we watched um, You People. That was funny. Um, but more often than not, about halfway or one third through the movie, I'm pretty checked out. Like, I'm like, this is really dumb. <laughs> or um, I just fall asleep. Um, but I'm still, I still get to be with her, but I, I don't really watch, I, I don't watch movies, but there are a few movies that I watch over and over and over again, just, just a handful of them. Um, one of them, and one of my favorite movies is a Denzel Washington movie. I, I, lo- I like most Denzel Washington movies, 
Um, but Man on Fire. The guy's incredible. Absolutely. Man on Fire, I would say, is one because that's very real to me. Um, it, it portrays a story that like I lived in and, and there's interesting dynamics in there with his character, um, that I think run maybe even deeper than a lot of people really comprehend. Um, and then I love like all the gangster movies, you know, and maybe for the same reason, Scarface, Casino, Goodfellas. Um, if any of those are on, you know, and they, they come on like normal TV now. So if it, I'm like, just it's on TV, then it's, it's, I'll just put it on. I'm not going to sit down and watch it. All of those are kind of longer movies as well. Um, but I'd say basically those, maybe Rudy, because I, you know, my dad went to Notre Dame. I like, I like this story. Rudy's a good old movie. And clearly you like Rocky. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, so young. Um, yes, I like the Rocky series um, and now the new Creed series. Those are very, for me, um, very watch them on an airplane movies, mm. right? So like if, you know, I travel a lot. Um, I also don't, but I don't watch a lot of movies on TV. Um, and there's very, like people, if we want to go the next step, like, okay, well, what about series? Very few series, House of Cards, Peaky Blinders, and House of Lies. Um, probably my favorite series, House of Lies with Don Cheadle and Kristen Bell. That one's a really good, because it's about my job. It's about being a consultant. So it's pretty cool. It has a love story in it. Um, but yeah, and even like, it's hard, like sometimes like people will be like, you should watch this series. And literally I'm not joking. What I do is I check how many seasons there are, because if there's a lot of seasons, I'm probably not going to make it very far. So what's the point in even starting? Like, you know, I identify with that. I struggle quite a bit to stay engaged in TV or movies, right? There was a period in my life when I, it was more a part of my life. But I find myself with my ADD just like disengaging so quickly. It has to be the right thing, the right story, the right message, the right cadence. Otherwise, my brain goes elsewhere. So <laughs> thank you for going down that pathway with me. <laughs> so you almost give up in Costa Rica. And then if I remember correctly, you had a buddy come down and the next stage of your life just started to explode. So can you talk about like what you built in Costa Rica, what you influenced in that country? And then start leading us towards some of the 10-year destruction that took place later. Well, I get um, I went there when I was 24. Uh, first year, you know, so I turned 25, absolutely miserable. I was probably seeing about four patients a week. Um, one year later, I'm up over 200 patient visits a day. And, you know, my, my close friend came down, um, I think headspace, dynamic, passion, clarity, clinically for me, um, things just really started taking off. Um, I started to author the law that regulates chiropractic to this day, lobbied for the passage of that law. I'm, in my, you know, I'm a 25, 26 year old. I'm testifying before a Costa Rican Congress, telling them about you know, what other countries have chiropractic laws, what chiropractic is. Um, really just an accelerated launch. I was appearing on a a, a national morning television show on a monthly basis, um, phones ringing off the hook. So we went from just like dead broke to just, you know, having more money than I could have imagined or fathomed um, and was just on cruise control, bringing, you know, opening more clinics, bringing doctors down. Um, everything was was rocking. Um, and then, like I said, I became an entrepreneur early on. And then people started bringing me opportunities and I started to kind of get into more and more of these other little things on the side. And, um, you know, I probably got myself spread a little too thin 
Um, also, you know, the culture is different. Navigating the culture is, you know, quite unique. And then um, ended up in a situation where, you know, you're in a third world country uh, for the mere price of, I believe, is about 250 or $300. Um, an ex-employee of mine, high-ranking employee of mine, had um, taken out a hit on me. Um, I did fortunately, very fortunately, one of my businesses is I owned a security company. So I had bodyguard protection. Um, you know, we had more weapons. We could probably go to a small war. Um, we, we had, um, you know, probably 200 or so different security, um, officials that we employed. We did security for large, um, sporting events. And so, and we also ran money and, you know, help, you know, the security for money runs and things of that nature. Um, and so I was alerted to the fact because of this, that there, that a hit had been placed out on me, um, that didn't deter, you know, even though we had knowledge of it, it didn't deter there being on um, two separate occasions, gunfights at my house where, you know, the attempts were being made on me. Um, and needless to say, after the very first, um, incident, my two daughters were sent immediately back to the United States. And uh, I began the process of undoing as quickly as I could any ties I had into the country and, and basically fleeing the country. Um, and that's just because I didn't want to, and in spite of me loving all of those gangster movies, I didn't want to command um, anybody that who, who was hired to protect me. I didn't want to give them the go ahead or the orders to eliminate the other people which is a very interesting dilemma because by not doing so, you're kind of condemning them um, to be at least um, at risk of being shot, hurt, or killed. So, you know, for them, they're like, hey, I'm telling you that there's this person that's going to try and get bullets in the air and try and kill you. My job is to stand between them and you to take the bullet for you. I'm telling you who it is. Why don't we do something about it? And I was like, well, because I just really, you know, that's not very comfortable. And so rather than, you know, sort through that, uh, I just ended up moving back to the States. And so that's that turbulent 10 year run. And dude, like that is insane, right? I, re I know that you've given me more details on some of the stories where you're being ducked down and things are going crazy and it's remarkable to me that you can exist in such a place where life is growing businesses are growing family is growing but to the very beginning point of what we talked about because of different economic motivations in different parts of the world or different parts of the country something as little as 250 to 300 dollars could turn into someone's life like that kind of perspective is in, insane. And then for you to go to a place to recognize, no, my girls need to be safe. I need to start to unwind. And then for you to demonstrate empathy and compassion, despite the fact that all your favorite movies are Scarface and gangster movies, right? The, the facade and the structure of their life seems really interesting. But when it comes time to taking someone else's life, that's not a game that many people really want to play. And you certainly didn't. And so fear started your period in Costa Rica and fear ended your period in Costa Rica in some way. And I wouldn't say that you were fearful of these people necessarily, but the situation in your conviction to not react and retaliate 
is why you chose to leave. But that also meant leaving everything you'd built, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think it's an interesting thing. Um, you know, the first one, the first situation when you don't know how to navigate a situation, not having money, but not understanding how money works, first and foremost. Secondly, how business works. Um, you know, I feel like today I understand those concepts, so I would not be afraid. So this was fear out of ignorance. Lack of experience. And lack of experience. The second time, I would say it wasn't it wasn't fear of the situation. Um, you know, if you have a security company, anybody who has um, protection, um, you know, you have a bodyguard or you are protected, it though what people don't understand is that you have to be trained to be protected, um, that there's training. So if you're the president of the United States, like th there's extensive training that for different situations, how they are going to react, how the, your protection is going to react and how you need to react in order to maintain your protection. And you were talking about, um, for example, and probably one of the worst scenarios is when somebody in a crowd might draw a gun Maybe I'm walking towards them. My protection is immediately um, behind me. And as soon as that somebody, you know, signals there's a gun, I'm going to get hit literally from the back of my head and pushed down into a crouch position and spun around 180 degrees. And I have to understand what's going on because then I'm going to start to run, but I'm running like curled up like a ball. And there's only one rule. And that rule is don't fall down because if, you as the asset fall down, the bodyguard's going to fall down on top of you. And now you're laying on the ground and you'll be shot. One of the other things that I was explaining this to a, um, um, to a police officer and he was like, you know, that's interesting because when there is gunshot, isn't it interesting that the human emotion is to curl inward and, or go onto the ground, which is the worst place to be. And actually an expansion, right? It would be even better because, you know, bullets still are subject to gravity. So if you were standing upright, unless they were extremely skilled, harder to get hit in the head. But if you went down, more likely that these bullets that are being affected by gravity, they're dipping as they as they fly, um, th that those could affect you. So here's the thing, because I knew who was doing this, I wasn't afraid of the concept. And strangely, I'd say I wasn't afraid of dying. I wasn't afraid of them being successful. This is an, I was afraid of, of entering into a world where I was going to, you know, elevate myself to a position of authority to give a command to end another person's life. Even in the face of a command being given to end mine, I felt like if I do that, I mean, and I don't know, I mean, this is who knows. I felt like the, the, the karmic repercussions down the road, the spiritual repercussions, and whoever's life got ended, don't they have family and aren't they sending someone after me? And so now we're literally going to enter into this eternal war. Um, I do love this, the series Narcos on, on Netflix. So it starts to look like that, right? And so that was the fear. I mean, in I don't know, because I, I don't know that world. I just watch it on TV. Yeah, Maybe somebody else would be like, that's not how it works. But because of what I had watched on TV, I was like, that is how it works. It would be, just be easier if I just went away. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting because 
you know I talk a lot about emotions and the armor that keeps us guarded from people being able to see us and, and connect with us. What's really interesting is that I don't know that you've ever described to me that standing up is actually safer and mm. actually opening yourself to be exposed. Again, unless they're a highly trained shot, it's actually safer than ducking down to the ground and going into the curdled armored position that we would traditionally. And you know that I teach people how to become the protector and connector in their spaces to condition themselves to understand that they're safe when even situations in our life where we get triggered convince us that we're not. Right? That fight or flight response, that trigger into anger, that trigger in defensiveness, it's all armor. What's fascinating is in the physical representation of being exposed, it's the same thing as it relates to connecting with people. If we're carrying the armor, we're actually going to further disconnect ourselves than if we stand wide open and ready to receive. And so the way you articulate that's extremely beautiful. And I think that you operate that way largely in life. I'm curious, is there anything to do? Oh uh, yeah, you know. So on Sunday, I was playing golf at a place called Old, Old Corkscrew, and I hit my ball. There's, there's the first time I had ever played this course. I was playing with my friends. And I was like, "Do you see my ball?" And they said, "Yeah, it's right there next to that crocodile or alligator next to that alligator." And I kind of like walked up towards it, and then I was like, "Yeah, no, I'm not." I'm just going to leave it. I'm going to drop one over here. But I I think that there's all, I mean, fear is an, an emotion that um, in large part helps us to be safe. Um, my wife is a fan of cars. We have a couple of fast cars. I like those fast cars, but I was thinking just today, I was out this morning driving and there was a challenger. I was flying down the road and I was like, man, I'm going to, I'm going to catch up to that guy. Then I thought to myself, but then what happens? It's like skiing, right? Because then he's going to go faster. And we're going to be like, and we can, both cars are going to go fast. We're going to get up to high speeds really, really fast. And then it becomes unsafe, right? For him or for me or for other people that are on the street. And honestly, for me, I mean, I'm not a skilled driver. So I was like, nah, I'm afraid. <laughs> so I mean, yeah, there's a lot of things on a daily basis that, that make me afraid. And I will go back to what you said. I think it's mostly because uh, of a lack of experience, right? So you just don't know. I don't know. Can you, is the, is the alligator going to wake up? Like, I don't know how that works. And what do you do if it does? Like, I don't know how that works. So it's all, it's all a lack of, I've never, of not having been there. That's what makes you, you know, run those scenarios in your mind, which is also too, you know, that's, you know, that's very powerful. You run scenarios, you run, you know, it, it's like these war games you run different scenarios in your mind and you evaluate, you know, the negative impact of those. You evaluate your readiness to receive, you know, if it goes into a negative situation. And oftentimes um, that's in large part the story. Like, I don't know, maybe the guy would have seen my car and been like, dude, I'm back. And I like, you don't know. It's all hypothetical. Right. Um, but you live in that state where it's not. You talked about the alligator and the first thing I jumped to is Happy Gilmore, right? And I like envision you jumping into the ocean and just like beating the crap out of the gator like, no, it's my ball. <laughs> and and that's so that that's where my mind went. But, you know, I had a gator experience about a year and a half ago. I was in Florida and I'm an Arizona boy, so I don't think about gators, right? They don't exist around me. And we were at a retreat. I was facilitating at one of these mansions that was in a local community that has these ponds. And I like photography. 
So there was some quiet time and I went out and there was this beautiful sunset and I squat down. I get this incredible imagery. I'm down there for probably 25 minutes doing a couple of things. And then I walk back up and there's two neighbors that apparently had watched me the whole time, never said a word. And as I'm walking back away from the pond, they were like, um, there's gators in there. And you were literally squatted down right by the water. You realize like that's extremely dangerous. <laughs> But my naivety put me into a situation that I didn't actually have any fear, but could have been really disastrous because they were like, oh, yeah, no, the gators snatch people all the time. I really snatch animals and things all the time off the swords of this little pond. I'm like, oh, OK, <laughs> thank you. Um, <laughs> you hit on something earlier that I think is really important, and I want to shift shift a little bit here. You serve service providers. And. Often, I find that service providers are putting themselves literally in a position to serve, right? Whether it's dental or Cairo or whatever, they're healers, they're serving other people, they're helping. And I find often that service providers seem to be the category of entrepreneurs that have the most difficulty with their relationship with money, with their own worth, and actually asking for and putting themselves into a position to get what they're worth in building their practices, their businesses, or what have you. You coach a lot of individuals that are in the service provider space, whether it's Kairos, Dental, and you look. What are the biggest patterns that you see and how are you using your collective experience and perspective to be able to allow them to tap into your experience in their curve to learning? First of all, um, I want everybody listening to realize that it's not just service providers as a profession. There are a lot of people that do some other job, but you stand in service to others, maybe at home. Like that's just like your nature, right? So people who are service oriented, um, love languages, acts of service, like you appreciate acts of service. And because of that, that's how you receive love. That's how you give love. I think that a lot of service providers would fall into that category of acts of service as a love language. Um, so anybody that stands in that space, they have a difficult time because they are not, it's interesting because acts of service is not really um, judging my own self worth. It's judging my actions. It's judging like I, maybe I'm not worth a lot, but maybe I could, you know, make a meal or maybe I could prepare the lunches for tomorrow, or maybe I could clean the bedroom. Um, and then that, that would be my contribution, but me, myself as a human being, as an individual, um, that self worth might not be seen because I don't necessarily identify with that. Not saying that I don't have self-esteem or don't have a high self worth, but I don't identify with that as a value proposition to the world. And because of that, coupled with one other thing, um, we have difficulty. So it starts with, you know, I don't really understand my relation to the rest of the world relative to value because I have been conditioned to place such a high level of uh, or high degree of of thought or 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 positioning or admiration to the acts, not to things. Difficult to find somebody who's an acts of service and gifts, right? One and two, because those seem to be sort of diametrically opposed, usually acts of service and words of affirmation, for example, but not service and gifts. So when we understand that 
The next problem that we have, and I think they're somewhat related, is that we don't understand how money works. We don't understand how the financial world operates because we are standing in service. I'm going to do something for you. You're going to do something for me. Does not equate to I'm going to do something for you. You're going to give me something. Because again, I probably don't value myself, gifts, material objects, and or money as a transactional trading piece. It's you should do something back. I will tell you this too. Look at struggling service providers. We You see us put out a ton of content relative to referrals because that's what service providers want. Every single one of them tells me, I just want to have a referral-based business. Okay, why? Because they value other people telling other people about them as an act of service, right? I want to help you reach more people. So that's where the value gets. And they're weird about the money side. The last thing is I think that, I mean, going way beyond just service providers, a lot of us have a lot of really terrible conditioning relative to money. We've been taught that money is evil, that, you know, the neighbor down the road, they came into a lot of money. They probably, you know, did some shady stuff. Um, you know, if you have a lot of money, you, the only way you got it was by cheating. Um, Lacey loves to talk about the concepts. She's really taught me, um, a great understanding of the difference between lack and scarcity, which I also think is important. Um, lack means that, you know, I, I don't have my piece of the pie. There's a pie, but somehow I got shorted. My piece was half as big as everyone else. So I'm standing in lack. Scarcity means there's only one slice of the pie left. So there's not much source. Therefore, because there's only one slice of the pie, of course, I'm not going to have a slice because there's eight of us. I might just get a little tiny crumb right. because the pie is scarce. And I think that, you know, everybody listening needs to think like, well, which one am I? Do I think lack or do I think scarcity? Um, and maybe you don't think either one because we just lived through a period of time where, you know, the, the pandemic happened. And we witnessed with our own experience that the government just made money out of thin air. So that means it's not scarce. They can just make money. There's just an endless supply of it that's out there. So maybe it's lack because you didn't get your portion. A lot of people that do well, too. I mean, it's interesting to watch this dynamic. But a lot of my entrepreneur friends are a little bit weird about the stimulus. You know why? Because they didn't get it. Like They always say that, like, well, you didn't get it because you... You do well. <laughs> That's why you didn't get it. And so then this whole, and this, all of these things manipulate our minds relative to money, because that even as someone that, that is prosperous and abundant is an admission that you think the fact that that person down the road was given free money and you were not, they must have hijacked the system somehow. And again, that you're, that's deeply rooted in people receiving money or doing bad things. Like that's the only way to get it. Um, and so we really live in this diametric opposition. You know, I always say, um, and this is not me, that this is a quote. I think it was, I think it might've been Jefferson. You'll have to Google this, put it in the show notes. But the mark of a truly successful individual is the ability to maintain two seemingly opposing ideas simultaneously in one's mind. And that's where like, listen, I can be abundant, but you can too. And the fact that maybe you received more than I do, that's when I, I have to fight this idea because now if I have true, if I allow them to conflict, remember I said I can hold them too opposingly, I do seemingly opposing ideas simultaneously in, 
simultaneously in my mind, that means they are not engaged in conflicting because every time that we have confliction of ideas, it leads to destruction. So if I want to say that I am abundant, but I'm upset because Brian received favor in the world, this will begin to erode and destroy my own insides. I now will have conflict relative to my relationship with money, and eventually it's going to show up in, 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 in destructive ways in my fight. Dude, you dropped so many bombs in that answer. Uh, I'm going to make sure that we highlight a few of those pieces. One, I love how you integrated that with love language, and I'm going to come full circle on that in a second. But I've actually never heard Lacey or you or frankly anybody talk about the difference between lack and scarcity. And I find it extremely fascinating the way that you talk about it. And it, it makes complete sense. And I completely agree with all of the examples that you gave. So I think it's a beautiful separation. What I'm curious about is whether it's lack or scarcity in your experience, how do what people experience from a feeling differs between lack and scarcity? Oh, I, you know, I think that what one probably feels a little bit safer because if you can convince yourself that it is scarcity, maybe that's kind of in modern times, like, oh, there's a recession. So it feels better because we're all in the same boat, right? So my situation is not that different than anyone else's situation because when I go to the store, eggs cost the same for me as they cost to you. Therefore, there is a lowering of the personal animosity that I might feel towards you. In lack, this is where we are victimized. Because we feel like certain individuals have taken our piece. I hear this a lot too um, in, you know, in, in like tech startups. Like how many times have you heard someone say, I had that idea first? <laughs> well, you just didn't do anything. I mean, because like the person that did it, right? I've heard people tell me that about Uber. Like I had that idea. Wait, but do you think the Uber people like spied on you like they stole it from you but it's that feeling that listen um these people are taking from me i become victimized i think that's actually harder to get out of because you are playing yourself against the field against the world versus the other one is more of a rising tides elevates all all ships it is still flawed it is still flawed but it feels a little bit better emotionally because I kind of feel like we're all in it together. So let me rephrase a little bit just so I can make sure that I'm understanding it because I really like the way you're separating these. Lack is about the comparison to others and what I didn't get compared to someone else. Scarcity is there's a lack of overall resources that might limit any of our ability to access it. Absolutely. And so in lack, it becomes personal and almost competitive and defensive, whereas in scarcity, it's more of an energy block and a shift in mentality and emotion that may or may not actually be real. Well, yeah, and, I, and I have, I'm aware of none, no psychological studies on this, but I am aware of cultural studies it's the difference between a me and a we society, a me and a we viewpoint on this. I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, as an individual in both scenarios, your bank account is low or maybe negative, right? But the viewpoint is my bank account is low because 
I got screwed out of it versus the economy is suffering. They just laid off 7,000 people at Disney. We are all low, right? And so the end result is the same. I think it's the viewpoint. But listen, I just want to make sure that we're emphasizing both viewpoints are wrong. Yes. Um, There is no lack of financial resources out there for an individual, and there is no scarcity of financial resources. It literally, literally is endless. It's infinite. And so we play these games. One of my other things, um, uh, one of my mentors, Myron Golden, said this, and I, I love when people say things and it's not part and parcel to like the main thing that they say. I love those things. Myron mentioned that, said something one time that said, the further disconnected we can make society from math, the more disconnected they become from money. Because if you cannot comprehend math, you cannot understand how money works. And I, you know, remember they had that common core math and everybody got so upset. And I was like, isn't that funny? Like, let's just confuse everybody on how math works because that will set us up to really not have any understanding on how money works, which might convince us that there's a limited supply or that there's a limited portion for me. So what I want to point out for the listeners of our show is I a thousand percent agree with everything you just said, Sean, lack and scarcity both come from the trash from people's past the stuff they've not resolved through the things they haven't worked through and identified and removed from their lives and it creates this pattern belief or emotion that keeps them stuck or like a victim that's something that i've admired about you always is i don't think that you've ever operated really from a victim mentality right particularly in business and in life i mean costa rica right you almost failed and you could have taken the victim oh man that yeah, it just didn't work out. I was in a bad country. It, they didn't have the right clients. You instead said, no, I'm going to go buy a bottle or I'm going to go find plastic bottles, negotiate to get the payment for that so that I can take ownership and put myself in a position with rice and beans to feed myself for a few weeks, right? In light of everything that was happening at the end of your experience in Costa Rica, again, you could have said, well, man, I got fucked. I don't know why this employee did this or why I've got a hit out of my life or why me, why... You instead said, no, I'm going to take ownership for what I can control, and I'm going to put my family and myself in safety and diffuse the situation by just leaving the environment. And so shifting to ownership has been a really significant pattern in your life that I've unpacked with you in a couple of different areas. With respect to moving back to the States and starting over, you and Lacey really jumped in together and built not only successful practices, Black Diamond Club, and multiple other investments over these last 15 to 20 years, but a really strong partnership. Can you talk about what that has looked like to go back from nothing to now have built a pretty significant nest egg for you and your family, but also a significant community where you're infusing opportunity to other people and how you've balanced that with your spouse? Well, I, I honestly believe, and you know, and I said in the beginning of the program that I have, you know, my my personal platform. I was the reason why I want to create influence is because I want to talk to people about how, first and foremost, I believe that the human body was created in its default mode to be perfectly healthy. That that's how we run, and then what happens is through life, interferences happen to us, primarily through the nervous system that disrupt our brain's ability to regulate the cells. And that's how we get sick. And so then what happens though, is because we have sickness, we try to regulate the end result through drugs, potions, and lotions. 
right? We, we, we try to medicate ourselves out of a disconnect that has occurred. In reality, if we could just reconnect, then the default setting would take place. There is always a time and place for medicine. You have lived through one of those very clear times and places. But even that, once it was reconnected, once your arm was reconnected, you didn't think about it. You did your, your doctors didn't come over and do any, like it was just positioned. And then the human body had to take over to connect the damaged tissues, to regenerate new healthy cells and do everything. And lo and behold, it is a minor miracle that it did it perfectly so that your hands work. Right. And if you understand that, so that's my platform on health. I honestly believe the same thing about success. I believe the default setting in human life is that we were programmed to be successful. Then we do all kinds of crazy things to interfere with the outcome that we were destined to have. And I've worked really hard to, first and foremost, through my professional training, eliminate the interference in my physical life. But secondarily, I've had to learn and probably work even harder to eliminate the interferences in my personal life. Some ways someone could say, you know, listen, the first example with your health, what you're doing is you're connecting man, the spiritual with man, the physical. And as long as the connection is intact, well, then we would have perfect coordination and perfect expression of health. Well, I would say the same thing in reverse because we need to connect man, the physical to man, the spiritual. And if that was working coordinatedly, then we would have perfect expression in relationships and in all areas of our life. The fact that there's you know, trillions of cells in your body right now and you don't give any of them any attention and they all work in concert um, speaks to the bigness of what's happening inside of our human body. Speaks to the fact that we can't even comprehend. We have really no clue. Like, how, how come when you cut yourself, how do the blood cells know to show up and how does it coagulate and stop? What is this that's driving this? Well, in the same point, you cannot really fathom what the design of your life would be if you didn't have interference. And so I've just been on this journey where once I'm able to clear the interference, where you talk about being able to build businesses and relationships, come in contact with people that blow your mind, um, you know, build a relationship with my wife, Lacey, build our, our finances. All of that for me is just an everyday experience and the wonderment of what's possible when you live life free of interference. And oh my gosh, we do so many things to interfere with that. And that's why programs like yours are great and working with you directly is even better because, you know, in my terms, it just helps you to clear those interferences between who you are today and who you were created to be. That's really what that whole thing is to get to. But first, I think you have to understand that you definitely weren't created to be broke. You definitely weren't created to be mad. You definitely weren't created to struggle. Like what would be the whole point of creation that we're going to create some things? Then one last thing that you said that kind of just brought this thought to my my mind. I, I had recently had a conversation that I think is really um, was really valuable to me. Um, somebody was sharing their journey financially, and they were like, you know, what I had to realize they were at, at a low point financially, and they said, what happened is I had placed all of this meaning to it. You know, I messed up. I'm no good. And then um, they hired a coach who helped them to understand that it was neutral. I mean, it just is like your bank balance is thirty eight dollars and forty two cents. That's just what it is. Yeah. And and he said, and I realized, you know what, Sean? The grass grows during a recession. The birds fly. The the mice, you know, they they reproduce. Like every, the, 
the, the world isn't hung up on, is it a recession? What's the interest rate? What did Brian say about me? Why come this person didn't call me back? As soon as I understood that all of these things were net energy neutral, but I was giving them energetic value. Most of the energetic value I was giving them was negative, And that's the stuff that was holding me back. Then I realized that the net potential energy was infinite. And so I think that's really, for me, like the biggest lesson is so many things. And and again, man, you should have Lacey on the show because these are all Lacey concepts. Lacey talks about the, the art of expectation and expecting the unexpected. And if you think that, wow, this sounds great, Sean. I want to be just like you and make a million dollars. Well, guess what? You may make a million dollars or just shy of it, but you won't make five because you weren't actually open. And and that's really crazy because people that think that they're expanding their vision feel like, well, I'm open because I'm expanding my vision. Yes, I stand with you, Sean. I'm I'm going for a million. And I'm like, yeah, but that's that still is limiting. Yeah. Right. And you know, you know that you and, and Dave Meltzer talked about this empowering over a billion. But the problem with with it on a smaller scale is when I say a million dollars, what happens in our mind is we create a pathway to that. And that pathway becomes our limitation because that's the pathway that we're going to attempt to walk. But there might be pathways to three million, five million, and a hundred million. But in order to do that, I would have to actually open myself up to the idea that it is infinite. So here's what I always tell people: like, do you have a concept of what the the galaxy is? what outer space, what the galaxy is, do you have a, can you mentally conceptualize that? And people say, yes. And I say, so what you have to be open to is understanding that it's not that it's bigger. So expand your vision. So now that we've expanded your vision, do you have an understanding of what it is? Good. Because it's not that either. Once we understand that it's incomprehensible, the amount of success and abundance and love and joy, it's incomprehensible of the, the, those elements that can come into your life we can finally start to be open to receiving it and it will constantly every day eclipse anything that you thought was possible. You'll just be like, I can't believe it. And that's what's funny, right? Because affirmations are what we tell ourselves to try and rewire our neurology to what's possible. Eventually, you won't tell yourself affirmations because you will just open your eyes and realize every single day, you'll just stare out into the sky and be like, I can't even comprehend it. So why would I say that I'm joy, I'm love, I'm abundant. I don't even know what those things mean. I just want to step into everything that I was created to be in this world. And I'm just open to not understanding a damn thing about it every single day, as long as it's fun and brings me joy and makes me happy, which it will, because that's how it's, that's the default. That's how it was created. Sorry for the soapbox. Dude, again, I love listening to you talk because you are someone who has incredible recall. You've studied in multiple different directions and you've got a shitload of perspective yourself. So the way you structure thoughts and communicate them into the world is so consumable for so many people. I love listening to it. Um, I will absolutely have Lacey on the show and I'd like to have both of you on the show together at some point. That would be really fun to do. Um, I'm curious, Sean, and we're going to wrap up here quick because we're right at the end of our time, but I'm curious, where, if any, interference exists in your world today? Oh, my gosh. I think that um, for me, what I'm constantly working on is, and, and it just happens to me all the time, and I think it's part and parcel to that abundance, right? I mean, um, even in, in it's somewhat of a negative example, but when there's you know a, a dead animal, um, the, the vultures come. 
and they they're fighting over the debt because but that's what that's their food it's not a negative thing right there's food available all of you know when there's a a piece of bread on the floor all the ants come when there's a signal of abundance out there in the universe everybody starts to show up and not all of them are good um some people show up with bad intentions and i've had an experience in my life with people that had very clear bad intentions so what i struggle with all the time is um, I'm constantly analyzing the people around me. Um, trust is very difficult when you have had a hit taken out on your life. Um, and oftentimes I realize like I am so abundantly blessed. I get it. I get why people want to be around. And I'm not, listen, I'm not an influencer. I'm not someone that people are calling, you know, hey, can you give me favor? But I do realize like, listen, you know, Black Diamond Club is a great group. I have amazing, amazing friends. I do amazing, cool stuff. So people do try to get around and what happens is that's when my armor comes up. That's when I'm like, what's going on? Somebody's here. They're here to take. They're here to, to destroy. They're here to throw us off our course. Um, and so that for me, that's that interference. And, it, and it's difficult because, look, life just gives you repeated opportunities and I repeatedly get burned. Um, but what I've learned is that that's part and parcel to the process, because if I'm not willing to get burned, then I'm not going to meet anybody else cool in my life right? I'm just going to be, that's it. And so I just keep putting myself out there. Um, I get my toes stepped on every now and then. And what I have to work on is then one, repeatedly putting myself out there after, you know, I got my foot slammed in the door. And number two, um, just moving on. Not, like I said, not attaching an emotional component to when that happens. And listen, people will say that. Let's say that you did something weird, you know, with our group. Um, people will be like, oh, there it is again, you know, Sean and Brian, you know, Brian duped Sean again. And that begins to make you think like you're a bad judge of character, but it's not that it's not that case, you know, and that's what they think. That's their world. And so that's where I work constantly. And I have to do that all the way down to the closest layers, by the way, all the way down to my very wife, Lacey, because that's just ingrained. Thank you for being so vulnerable and honest, especially in The Last Dancer. You have been this entire show, my friend, and I love you. I'm grateful that you were here with us today. What I want to just call to attention real quick before we wrap up is I know that you guys have an extremely generous offer to be able to give, I think, a three-month free membership to Black Diamond Club for folks. Well, we also have tons of just content. So if anybody found value today, um, if you just hop over to gethopetoday.com, Hey man, I'm 51. I always screw it up. I don't, I don't understand at all why, but don't put the www. Just write gethopetoday.com. Lacey and I have packed up so many resources, courses, time management, relationships, all kinds of thoughts on there. And the whole thing is free as well as an offer to join us in Black Diamond Club for three months free as well. And I can tell you firsthand, I've spoken in this group. I know a number of individuals in it and I know the two who are leading it. It is absolutely a quality group that will surround you with people that will elevate and empower you to go further. So thank you for being with us today, Sean. For everyone, look at his story. He dug deep. He had to understand that getting burned was a part of the process. And the burning is also what could create the emotional interference that would potentially keep him from moving to be able to build significant influence and impact through his world, starting with himself, next with his wife, with his girls, with everything that he built. Sean demonstrated that we consistently have to flip open the lid and take a look at what's risen to the top. But if you can remove the limitations in your thinking, if you can remove the limitations the world has placed on you, then you might just have the chance 
to live and exist in the abundance that's available to all of us. But what it requires is that you flip open your lid and scan your camera.